0: Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I discuss low volatility stocks and investing. In the first part of the discussion, we chat about how you can measure a stock's volatility, to why investing in low vol stocks works over time, to the types of stocks and sectors that show up the most in low volatility portfolios. In the second half of the podcast, we talk about one of the models on Validia, based on the research of Pim Van VanVleet, that blends low volatility investing with other simple and straightforward measures to find conservative stocks that have the potential to outperform the market when held in the model portfolio. As always, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy this discussion on low volatility investing. Okay, today we're going to talk about a type of investing strategy um, uh, and probably a, st- a strategy or uh, I guess a type of stock that a lot of investors, particularly retire- re- retired investors and retirees, probably have a lot of exposure to these types of stocks, and that's stocks that basically are would be considered low volatility or also known as low vol stocks and um what we want to do today is get into sort of the basics around low volatility which we'll discuss in a minute and then we're going to talk about one of the strategies on validia that tries to capture this concept of low volatility in a relatively straightforward and simple strategy that has been tested over a long period of time but to start jack i thought maybe what we could do is let's just kind of ease into low volatility and talk about what um, metrics an investor might look at to try to identify low volatility type stocks.
1: Yeah, you know, and to start, low volatility is one of the harder factors for those of us that follow factors to understand, because it seems to, you know, the, the way finance works seems to, you know, it seems to reverse it. You know, effectively, you're buying stocks that are less volatile than the market, and you're either getting the same return as the market, or you're getting a greater return. And, you know, so we'll talk a little bit later about how, how why it is that low volatility works, but low volatility can be tough to understand for investors, um, so but in terms of the basics of low volatility, there, there's really two metrics I think you know are most widely used. One is standard deviation, which you know we don't have to get into the detailed calculation, but standard deviation is just how volatile an individual stock is. So it, it's just looking at the stock itself. Um, so you know the least volatile stocks have the lowest standard deviation, and then there's beta, and, and beta sort of looks at the um, amount of risk a stock would bring to an already diversified portfolio. So it brings in the concept of covariance. So the, the concept of how the, the stock moves in relation to the market. So standard deviation sort of sits on its own. Beta
0: brings it into this this idea of covariance with the market into the, uh, into the equation. And just to talk about standard deviation for a minute, I think over the long run, the market has a standard deviation of um, about 15%. So that means that most of the time, roughly 70% of the time, if the market's return over the very long term is 10%, um, you're gonna be within a range of 5% per year to plus 25% per year. That's where most of the market's returns sort of would be around that mean. So when we talk about standard deviation, that's just kind of the concept in terms of thinking of market like returns. Did you wanna talk at all about the low vol versus minimum volatility, the difference between those two things? Cause I think we see those a lot and sometimes investors might, kind of get confused and think they're the same thing.
1: Yeah, it's important to talk about them because you see ETFs out there that use both approaches. You'll see low volatility ETFs and you'll see min vol ETFs. And so it's just important to understand you're getting a very different product with those two. So low volatility ETFs are, are using what we talked about before, which is they're taking the least volatile stocks and they're putting them into the into the product. Minimum volatility is more about building the least volatile portfolio, not using the least volatile stocks. And so when you want to build the least volatile portfolio, you actually can put stocks that are more volatile in there because what you care about is the combination, the portfolios that's created by everything you put together. So they're they're trying to accomplish something maybe similar, but they're doing it in very different ways. So when you see a low volatility ETF versus a minimum volatility ETF, it's important to understand the difference between the two.
0: That's a good point. I didn't even really know the difference there, so I'm glad that you kind of pointed that out. Um, in terms of, you know, we have t- we talk a lot about the reasons why these factors work. When we think about value investing, at least systematic value investing, you know, we can point to a risk-based explanation and also a mispricing-based or maybe behavioral-based explanation. With low volatility, like you pointed out, it kind of turns the whole, re- you know, getting more return for uh, higher risk sort of upside down. So there really is no risk-based explanation I don't think that I can think of um, unless I'm missing something, but there is a mispricing one. And um, what maybe you can kind of just talk to what the idea around the mispricing or behavioral-based one is as why low volatility actually does well.
1: Yeah, so so like you said, the risk-based explanation is, is tough. You know, if if you're using volatility as a measure of risk and you're investing in low volatility stocks, then how are you going to make an argument that you're taking more risk and you're getting a greater return? The one thing I would say around the risk idea is that it's, minimum volatility is not risk-free. And so what we're going through right now is an example of that. I mean, minimum volatility or low volatility, sorry, had a very long period where it outperformed. And now it's going through a very long period where it's underperformed. So just like the other factors, that risk of I'm going to have these extended periods where I underperform exists with low volatility, just like it exists with everything else. So although the risk-based argument in an academic standpoint, from an academic standpoint is not really there, there, there certainly is risk in these types of stocks. Um, but in terms of the mispricing, I mean, the best arguments I've seen are... One is your, your average investor can't use leverage. And so in order to juice up the returns of their portfolio, what they'll do is they'll buy these high beta stocks and the high beta stocks will become overpriced. And so the low volatility stocks become less attractive or become more attractive relative to the high volatility stocks. Um, that, that's one example. Or also investors have this tendency to chase lottery stocks, which is sort of the same concept. You know, these stocks that can produce huge returns. And so they overprice those stocks relative to these more safe, stable companies. Um, so those are the two best arguments I've seen from this price. But like you said, from the risk-based standpoint, you really can't, there's really not a strong argument in favor of low volatility.
0: When you look at like these low volatility portfolios, what you'll see is they kind of tend to cluster, certain certain sectors or types of stocks, you know, tend to cluster in these strategies. So for for instance, you know, in low vol, there's a lot of consumer staple type stocks or utility type stocks. And one of the things that, that O'Shaughnessy Asset Management pointed out a few years ago is... At, at at the time that they had run this study, which maybe it's changed now, but is consumer staples was actually the best performing industry over I don't know how far they went back. It might have been to the fifties. It may have even been longer than that. Um, and that sector was the best best performing sector. And um, you know they were sort of like asking the reasons why that might be. Um, some of those consumer staple stocks have you know, high or than average return on um, equity. And so, you know, maybe over time that helped explain some of the outperformance as in terms of that being one of the best performing sectors. But when you kind of think about low volatility and maybe why it works, it may be partly driven by this sort of sector exposure or concentration in um, consumer staple like stocks, which over the very long term um, have tended to do very well. And that, that also gets an important behavioral point, because if, if you contrast it with something like value, you
1: know, when you look at your portfolio and you're running a low volatility strategy, you're probably going to be fairly happy with the names you see. You're going to see good quality companies in there. Whereas when you, when you run a value portfolio, you're going to see, you know, retailers in the mall and you're going to, you're going to ask yourself, why do I possibly own these things? So from a behavioral standpoint, it could be easier to stick, you know, not only is, or is a low volatility strategy less volatile, but also when you look at your portfolio, you're going to feel a little more comfortable. So that, that can be an advantage for the factor relative to something
0: like value, where you're Seeing more, you know, low-quality companies in your portfolio. Yeah, one of the things that you pointed out, actually, in your article, which was really interesting. This was using some of our own proprietary data, is how, um, and I'll let you speak to this. But the sectors and the exposure to low volatility, as to where we are today versus where we are a year ago, you didn't see much movement from a sector standpoint, but. Within the factors you did. So maybe just explain that a little bit more. Yeah, I wrote an article a while back about
1: momentum where I stole a concept from Corey Hostein where I basically said momentum is a chameleon, which means momentum can be whatever's going up. So it can change from a sector standpoint, it can change from a factor standpoint. Well, in this article, I said low volatility is a chameleon, sort of. And and the reason is low volatility can also change. You know, it's not tied to fundamentals like something like value. It can, whatever stocks in the market have the least volatility is where low volatility is going to go. But low volatility changes a lot less than momentum. And so that's why I was saying it was sort of couching it with the sort of uh, in the heading. Because if you look at the sector exposure of low volatility at the market bottom on 326, 2020, and you compare it to the sector exposure of low volatility now, it almost hasn't changed at all. I mean, the biggest sector overweights were 14% overweight utilities, then 13% overweight utilities now. You know, 10% overweight consumer staples then, 10% consumer staples overweight now. So that that really hasn't changed a lot, but where it has changed is when you look into the factors. And so low volatility was coming off a good run, you know, sort of when we had the market bottom. And so low volatility did not have a lot of value tied to it. The, The stocks were more expensive than they normally are but it did have a lot of momentum. The stocks had had a pretty good run. So at the market bottom, low volatility using our our factor scores, which are zero or one to a hundred with a hundred being the most exposure to the factor, At the bottom, low volatility had a 44 exposure to value, but now it has a 61. So low volatility has struggled in in this market rebound and it's actually become a lot cheaper. So it makes the factor look a lot more attractive. Whereas from a momentum perspective, it had a 66 momentum at the bottom, but now it has 24. So its momentum has plummeted. Um, As you know, these lower quality value stocks have led led the rebound, these, these sort of low volatility, more recognizable name companies, have struggled relative to them, and so you've seen you haven't seen much change in the sector exposure, but you've seen a lot of change in the factor exposure.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. On Validia, we run a we call it the multi-factor strategy, but it's really a strategy that seeks to um, identify lower volatility stocks and more conservative stocks, and the strategy is based on research by a uh, professional investor, Pim Van Vliet. Um he wrote a book, the title of the book is High Returns from Low Risk, a Remarkable Stock Market Paradox and also a research paper, The Conservative Formula, Quantitative Investing Made Easy. Um, and let's kind of step into the strategy in a second here. But before, before we do, one of the things he tested, this strategy that we're gonna explain, he tested it from 1929 to 2016 and a 100 stock portfolio of the most conservative stocks rebalanced annually, I believe, produced a simulated return of 15.1% per year versus 9.3% for the market. So the criteria that we'll explain in a minute that went into selecting the 100 stocks that scored highest. um, And that at least on a backtested basis, delivered um, some pretty impressive outperformance over the market. And there's some other characteristics we'll talk about in a second too. But um, Jack, maybe if you want to kind of get into, let's step into some of these criteria, and we can talk about them here.
1: Yeah, just to take a step back, you know, one of the things, for those of us, for people like me who are maybe less comfortable with low volatility because we can't explain it as well as we can explain the other factors, you know, you really don't have to use low volatility on its own. And so low volatility works very, very well with the other factors. Um, so you know, I, I cited a paper in my article that showed that when you combine low volatility with value, you know you got a 2.2% excess return per year. So you can combine lo- low volatility with things like value and momentum, and you don't have to use it on its own. So if you wanna get the benefits of low volatility, but you're maybe not comfortable with the factor on its own, that, that's a good way to, to sort of handle that. And that, that's what this formula we use on Validia gets at. Um, it doesn't use value, but it does use some other criteria to say, all right, we're gonna look for stocks that are less volatile in the market, but we're gonna couple that with some other things that we also think Generate an excess return over time to build a portfolio. So, just going through the individual criteria, you know, it, it starts with the market cap, and it wants stocks that are within the top one thousand stocks in the market. You know, and those tend to be more stable companies than, and you get when you get into the small and micro cap arenas. Um, and then it, it tries to, using three year standard deviation, it, it basically cuts the market in half. So the stocks that are in the bottom 50% in terms of their three year standard deviation, those are the ones that can be included in the portfolio. So that's the low volatility component is we start with this universe of big stocks that are less volatile than the market. And then we run some additional criteria to rank them. And so what, what we use is momentum, which works well, very well with low volatility. We rank the stocks based on 12 minus one momentum, which is just momentum in the past year, excluding the most recent month. Um, and then you you rank them again based on net payout yield, which is effectively you know dividend plus share buybacks, and then you combine those two rankings into a final ranking. So you're starting with this universe of stocks that are in the bottom fifty percent of the market in terms of volatility, and then you're ranking on momentum and net payout yield, and then you're you're building a portfolio with the best combined ranking. so you're getting elements of these other factors in addition to your low volatility.
0: Um, notice that there are no accounting Metrics or variables in this strategy. It's it's a really simple, straightforward investment strategy, and that's actually intentional because, um, as uh, Van Vliet points out in the paper, he wanted um, to make this a very easy formula that could actually be followed and implemented. And everything you're seeing here is, you know, a pretty pretty straightforward in terms of, you know, it's not looking at anything on the balance sheet, anything on the income statement. It's just like you said market cap, standard deviation, and then it's ranking by the net payout yield um, and momentum. That's right. Yeah.
1: that's a really good point because, I mean, complexity can be the enemy of following an investment strategy. I mean, you want to be able to, as an investor following an investment strategy, you want to be able to explain to someone fairly simply, you know, why am I following this investment strategy? And this is, this, as you pointed out, this, this strategy is very simple to explain. You know, I'm buying stocks that are less volatile in the market, that have momentum, that have, you know, high payout yields. I mean, that, that's basically the entire strategy. I can explain it. Whereas some of our other ones, you know, can, you have to go into a lot more depth to try to explain why, why you're following, why
0: you own the stocks you own. One of the... Um things in the back test so it does go back to the 1930s basically that VanVleet tested it back to as we said 1929 I think but he started he shows this strategy's performance every decade um going back to that point and what the back test of performance shows is that it never had a losing decade even in the 30s and another and that's very important because as he sort of pointed out investors you know have relatively short time horizons. So the fact that this strategy has never had a losing decade where you would have had three losing decades if you if you actually, if you just would have bought the market, you would have had really two losing decades over that period of time, the 30s and the 2000s. Um, If you would have bought speculative stocks, which he also shows in here, you would have had um, three losing decades, the 30s, the 70s, and the 2000s. I guess the market was basically flat in the 1930s when it kind of came all the way back by the end of the 30s, according to the data I'm looking at here. so that's an interesting and important thing for investors to consider if they're learning about a strategy like this.
1: Yeah, and you contrast that with something like value. I mean, value, you have these really, really long periods where you lose. Um, so yeah, this, this seems like it would, it would certainly be a, an easier strategy to stick with. Um, you know, you can argue whether value performs better, you know, and in the testing, value probably does perform better than low volatility, but you know, low volatility is, is gonna be much easier to stick with than value as, as all of us know who went through that past decade in value where it really struggled.
0: Yeah, and that's another point that he made in the paper is that per unit of risk, this conservative formula that, that he built you know, it does really reward investors, actually more than the pure factors and even I think the Fama French sort of stuff. So, you know, you're really getting solid returns and you're doing it more conservatively. And so, you know, it's an appealing strategy, I think for, for a lot of investors.
1: Yeah. But like we talked about earlier, the one thing to keep in mind with any factor strategy is you're going to have these periods where you struggle relative to the market. And you know we're in one of those right now for low volatility. They're not as bad with low volatility as they are with value, but they certainly exist. And you, know, you have to understand whenever you're doing anything that makes you different than the market, the price you're going to pay is these periods where you
0: trail the market. Yep. So we'll put a link to a lot of stuff in this. Um, maybe I'll even pull that chart in uh, that we talked about. I can drop that in and then... Um... Yeah, we hope uh, this was a good, interesting discussion on low volatility and a strategy that tries to harvest this along with other variables. And we will see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carbono. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.